This is X. St. Anderson, and welcome today to the Principal Podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to have as a guest, Gina Mundy. And I, I got to tell you, I've been really excited for this. Let me just introduce Gina a little bit. She is an attorney that she specializes in childbirth cases, and she's done this for over two decades. And she's seen some of the mistakes that are made during labor and delivery. And because of this, she's authored a book for parents that will help them avoid kind of preventing these mistakes. So um, thank you so much, Gina, for being on the podcast today. I got to tell you, too, she is the author of A Parent's Guide to, to Safer Childbirth, Using the Power of Knowledge to Help You Deliver a Healthy Baby. So you can expect the best. So, Gina, thank you for being with us here. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm very excited for today. Yeah, so, so tell us a little bit more about what you do and what you've noticed because of it. Oh, sure. Now, that's a loaded question. I'll talk for a minute on that one. Um, so I am an attorney that's, but like you said, I specialize in childbirth cases. So that means during the birth of a child, something goes wrong, whether it's a mistake or it's a complication. And unfortunately, that will result in the baby being injured at birth permanently, uh, usually the brain. It could result in the baby passing away before birth. It could result in baby passing away right after. And in some very sad cases, I've had mom actually pass away. So my job as the attorney is to look at the patient care, look at the care mom received during childbirth and figure out what went wrong. Why did something go wrong? And more importantly, what should have been done so baby would have been born healthy or what should have been done so mom would have been there to be able to raise her baby so that those questions have taken me across the united states more than once meeting with doctors nurses midwives in almost every state in almost every hospital system hashing out labor and delivery analyzing every aspect to try to figure out you know, in these cases, what happened? So based upon that experience, and there's a little more to it, but that's a good summary of the last two decades of my professional career. So based upon that experience, I authored the book, A Parent's Guide to a Safer Childbirth. So instead of getting involved after a mistake has been made, where I have to figure out what happened and why, I am now trying to get involved before childbirth to help parents make sure that these devastating mistakes and complications don't happen during the birth of their baby. Because when it does, it is, it, it's, it's life-changing. And unfortunately, it is, it's, it's not for the good. So that's- I love this approach that you're doing. I love that you're trying to be preventative and help parents not make mistakes because you see it when it gets down the road and it's gone way further than anyone would ever want it to go. Oh, absolutely. But and here's the deal. In these cases, here's the most devastating part. These families in these cases are sometimes, or I should say most of the time, one decision or minutes from a healthy baby. So the importance of reading something like my book and understanding what can happen, I, I cannot emphasize enough. 
I love this. Tell us some of the things that you would tell parents who want to have a healthy baby. I mean, let's get right into it. What, how can parents assist in preventing these type of mistakes from happening or, or make that one choice or do something different during the few minutes that would mean a huge difference for their babies? What would you tell them? So let's talk a little bit. We'll talk about a little bit of my structure in my book because that will help. So lesson, or I should say chapter one of my book goes through all of the lessons from the baby cases that I took away from the family. Lessons that I guess we could all take away from learning from the families in these cases, learning from the delivery teams in these cases, meaning the doctor, the nurses, the midwives, or learning from the medical experts. So if you go to chapter one, that is your those are your lessons. So that is what you need to know heading into childbirth in order to help you prevent those mistakes. That chapter is so important to understand that you can go on my website and download it for free. I'm just giving it for, just put it out there. This is what you need to know. Here are your lessons. Now, each subsequent chapter of my book is a lesson. So that chapter, just really quick, that's ginamundy.com, G-I-N-A-M-U-N-D-Y.com, where they can find this. Is that correct? That's correct. So go on my, go on the website, go under Expecting Parents. It, I, I have it downloadable. You don't even need a crazy copy where you hit print on the internet and you're, you know, it's mixing with everything. No, download it, print it if you want, read it if you want. 20 minutes. That is going to give you powerful information right then and there to help you. Because it also depends on, you know, if you're the last lesson. Pitocin, which is used to induce mom's labor, it's it, it, give it to mom, it's a drug and it'll make her uterus contract. So if you're going to do an induction of labor or they're going to use Pitocin to help you deliver your baby, you must understand that Pitocin is the number one most common fact and issue in a legal baby case. So when I get a new case in, literally since February 2003, almost every single case, Pitocin is used to induce the mom's labor. So now, so if you, that's in chapter one, that's your last lesson. Now, if you are going to do Pitocin, it, now you are aware, you are, you have this heightened sense of awareness. You can, you now know Pitocin and mistakes can go hand in hand. If you want, you can go to chapter, you're going to get your labor induced. You head to chapter 14, where chapter 14 is going to help you have that safe induction. So basically watching all of these inductions gone wrong for over, you know, 20 years, right at the end of that chapter, I made a list. These are the 14 things you need to know based upon what I've seen go wrong to help you have a safe induction. So, you know, it also depends the route you're going to take with your labor. Are you going to have an epidural? Because if you are, then, you know, that, that's another that's another issue that you have to be very careful with. Everyone, most moms, the majority of moms get epidurals. So it's a very common procedure, but there's things you need to know about it. It's not just like, sure, I don't want to feel my contractions. So I'm going to get an epidural. Nope. There's more to know t than that. Um, 
What do you see with epidurals? And, and I also wanted to ask, backing up just a little bit, you said Pitocin is the most major problem you see. And I apologize, we're backing up here a little bit. But oh, okay. that's fine. I'm glad you stopped me. I already kept going. <laughs> We've really been backing up. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more. You're saying when you have, when there's problems, you're saying Pitocin is the culprit. Is that what I'm hearing? You know, it's actually, it's in the book. It's in chapter one, too. I don't even think um, you have to read any farther than that. But um, so, Pitocin doesn't always have to be the main issue. So it's used, but it can cause other things to happen. So it could be the Pitocin management. It could be the way they're administering the Pitocin where they make mom contract too much. And that is not, you know, and baby suffers because of that. It could be that it caused something. Um, <clears throat> all I know is that it is literally in almost every single one of my cases. So, you know, that's that's important. If you are gonna get a pitot, you need to understand that that is the most common fact present when something goes wrong. So now you need to educate yourself so you know how to have, you know, a safer pitocin induction. And, the, and if you do that- It's at least correlated. It's at least correlated. You see problems and when you see problems, pitocin was happening sometime during it. Most of the time. Yeah, so there's, you know, there's, other types of cases, um, and I'm trying not to get too complicated with some of the other cases, but it will, it won't be an issue in a case per se, but something else will be the issue, but it was given. And then something in that labor went wrong that wasn't um, handled correctly. Okay. I can get more detailed, but it might, <laughs> I don't want to lose anybody. I think we're, we're too early in the uh, podcast. No problem. But, no problem. And well, I, moving and I'll say too, like, you know, the reason I wrote this book and whatnot was initially for my, my kids, because I, they're my, I have two daughters, they're 15 and 19. I also have a younger son who's nine, but as my daughters are getting older, you know, the thought of me not being around for, you know, the birth of my grandkids, you know, kind of set in a little bit after some other events happened and it just I'm, it made me realize that my kids need to know what I know. So that was what kind of started this book. And then as I switched gears from attorney to, you know, author with the intention to of helping these, you know, helping not only my family, but these parents, you know, it really, you know, it really just, it's like, it didn't stop. It took about 14 months to write or whatnot. But I, I mean, I've spent thousands of hours analyzing these cases and just going back and literally the, the best of my ability, writing how parents can prevent, you know, these mistakes and complications. So valuable, so valuable that someone is caring enough to do that for, for parents, Gina. I love that. You were saying a little bit about epidurals. People go in there and say, oh yeah, I'll have an epidural because I want to fill my contractions, but off people need to realize there it comes, I'm certain, with real risks. Is that right? Yeah, unfortunately. Um, it's, you know, I've talked about this briefly in one other podcast, and I really, something I can't talk about because of the confidentiality associated with being um, an attorney for the hospital. But probably the hardest thing I had to see, and I'm trying to almost, I almost want to just read the part of the chapter to you so I don't screw up what I'm supposed to say or not say. Um, but it was a really sad case, and a mom passed away. Um, and um, gee, sorry, to this day, it's it's still hard. 
the family never knew why. And today they don't know why. Um, so I can't say anything at all. It's awful. You know, the human part of me, the mother part of me, the wife part of me, it's, it's very difficult. So I really can't say too much about that case because they don't know. I know. But what I did to make sure that never happened again was write that chapter on epidurals. So you kind of have to go through, yes, there are risks and, and it will guide you on what you need to know so you can have a safe epidural experience or whoever you know can have a safe epidural experience. So yeah, that's, so I know it's a little vague and it's much, it's, it's, it's said much better in the book. Uh, so I should probably work on it a little bit more when I talk about podcasts, but just given that confidentiality, it's, it's, it's a really hard question. You got to keep it vague a little bit. What chapter is it in your book? One about epidurals. Epidural is chapter chapter twelve. Chapter twelve. Yeah. So if you go to lesson, you can go right on my website right now. If you're listening, you go to geniemonday.com. Go to chapter one. Read lesson. They're not right though. I think it would be lesson. Oh, it should be a lesson 11 or 13. Anyway, read the lessons around um, the epidural. Wonderful. So, yep, I, lesson 11, it looks like on that. I'm looking oh, is at it? Okay. Lesson 11 in chapter one, which is a free download run on your, on your site. You know, this, this is so valuable for, you know, and I got to tell you from my perspective, and I'll share a little bit, I think I've shared with you beforehand. Um, you know, my, my wife and I have uh, five kids and we actually had, we were wanting to have a little bit more and we had uh, a number of miscarriages and even to the point where we had to go to the hospital. So when you talk about these things, we're very familiar with them and it breaks my heart um, to hear that some of these things could be prevented. And from your perspective, you see that some of these things could be prevented if parents were educated and maybe it took a little bit of time before they have their labor and delivery plan to say, okay, what are we going to do to make sure this that we can do that will make sure this goes as smoothly and with as little risk as possible for our child. So I'm just so glad you're doing that. What would be, what would you say are the number one or two things you would want parents to know? If, I mean, from your so, experience. Chapter 11. Chapter 11 is huge. It is information that you're not going to find anywhere else and certainly not in a conventional pregnancy book. Chapter 11 are all are the top 10 most common facts and issues in a legal baby case. So we already talked about Pitocin, huge, but there's other things that are important that, you know, that could that could affect mom and baby, you know, no matter what your decisions are. So one of the most common facts is a really busy labor and delivery unit. You've got to remember labor and delivery units are different. So for instance, a surgery center, people are scheduled for surgery at different times. The hospital is staffed accordingly. Babies, especially if you may be in a busy area, come when they want to come. So you can go from you know, not a busy unit to an overwhelmed unit, pretty quick. So you, as the patient, you have to have an understanding of childbirth 
you have to have an understanding of how to know if your baby is okay during childbirth. Because your nurse and your doctor or residents or midwife cannot just watch you when the labor and delivery unit is jammed. They are running hard and they're running thin. And that's when mistakes happen. So here's the deal. If your baby or something starts to happen that, sh that you know, could, could harm the baby or you or some, something starts to go wrong, there are certain indicators. They're in the book. And if you know these certain indicators that something's wrong with baby, something's wrong with you, here's the deal. It's simple. You alert your doctor. You alert your nurse. You'll know exactly how to do that once you arrive to the hospital. Once you alert them that baby or you or something is seriously wrong, which you would know again, if you, if you read my book, you'll understand what to look for. They, you will be their priority, okay? Because they may have the patient down the hall who is stalled out in labor, baby's fine, but let's go get a C-section, whatever, but the baby's okay. Yeah, mom, that mom's gonna wait and you are going to be the priority. So in the book, for instance, it's a very sad case, again, very general because of the confidentiality, but it was a, the case has to do with a, a labor and delivery unit that was extremely busy and mom. Which is not a good thing. No. And here's the deal, right? I'm in Michigan and in Michigan, guess what? May, June, July are your super busy months in labor and delivery. And guess what else is really a uh, busy time mornings late mornings so if it's one of those months late morning and you're in the metro detroit area you better know this <laughs> so because you've got to be able you have to be able to protect your baby and listen i get it you're also in labor and that's mentally and physically challenging which is why you want to have somebody there who understands these indications on how to you know, make sure baby's okay. And I actually, I call, I call them the baby advocate, but here's the deal. You know what to look for your baby advocate, the person you've designated to kind of watch over baby. They alert the staff, they're in there, they can fix it. So in the sad case, what happened, super busy unit, they, you know, they're running hard, they're running thin and they leave mom for a little bit and mom does not understand how important the baby's heart rate is. Listen, think about this parents, you, your baby's inside you, okay? It is, it's very difficult to determine how baby is doing because baby's inside you. It's different than when a doctor looks at you. A doctor can look at you and say, ooh, you don't look good, you look swollen. Ask the appropriate questions which you will respond and they can make a diagnosis or help you accordingly. Babies are, babies are different, but there is a way to determine if a baby is okay during childbirth. And that is by looking at their heart rate. I can look at a baby's heart rate and I can tell you if that baby is a rock star or if that baby's in trouble. This is good stuff. Why parents don't know it? I have no idea. I am a non-medical person and I can look at these tracings and it's not hard. I, so I wrote a chapter on the book, parents, you, this is what you need to know. And you know what? You just need to know enough to alert your doctor. So you, you know, you learn stuff like this, but anyway, in that case, mom and she had family with her. So they were all in the room together 
and they didn't realize what was going on with the baby and they didn't alert anybody that anything was going on with the baby and after probably a little too long um you know and, and i'm not saying that anything was was done wrong but meaning a little too long that baby was in trouble but it was too late um they tried to adjust the baby's, you know, the heart rate monitor to see how baby was doing. They couldn't get the heart rate. Um, and eventually they had to bring in the ultrasound where they determined that baby had actually passed while literally in the hospital on the labor and delivery unit. If mom, when they left the room, the baby's heart rate was graphing. And if mom would have understood the importance of keeping that heart rate going or what it was showing, it would have been fine. They, she, she could have alerted them. And those doctors and nurses would have been in there at the speed of light doing whatever they could have done for that baby. But nobody knew. And because the unit was so busy, it just, she flew under the radar and unfortunately um, delivered a baby that had passed. So this, this, this attitude though, that I should do everything I can. I think a lot of times people show up to the hospital and they say, well, these are the professionals. I'm in good care. But really, when it comes to our own children, I mean, sometimes doctors make mistakes. Professional people aren't perfect. And so taking that responsibility a little bit of yourself and saying, hey, if I notice this, I'm going to let the professionals know so they can help. That's exactly. such a huge piece Go, that you're going to do everything you can as the parent to give your child a chance. That is fighting chance. 100%. Listen. After you have your baby and you hold your baby, that that is such a powerful moment. It's it's the start. It's the start of a big part of your life because you never stop being a parent. This is it's you know it, it's emotional. It's it's a lot. So unfortunately, I I've seen you know a lot of those families who don't get that powerful moment. And I know that if they could have gone back and learned and understood, they would have. And actually the book finishes with an acknowledgement to the families because the first three months, so I, the last 20 years have had to go through, you know, the day um, that, you know, they lost their baby or mom or, you know, whatever. I, I have to go through all that for hours on end with families. It's emotionally draining day that I emotionally suppressed apparently for 19 years. But the first three months of writing this book, I cried every single morning, thinking about the families, where they're at now, going back through their cases. But I'll tell you, once once the crying stopped, once the tears stopped flowing, there was a clarity. And not only that, it fueled me to try to make sure that no other families ever have to go through this again to the best I can. So that's why, you know, there, that's why there's thousands of hours and, and everything else in it. But to make sure that all, all these parents, that you have that powerful moment and that you start your child off on the right foot and that you just go on and you don't skip a beat. That's why I wrote this book. I love that. And the fact that you're seeing a problem that was painful for you, where you cried and cried because you had to relive this these days with people and you're being the change you want to see in the world, which is, if, gosh, if I could have just helped people see before this happened, that 
they could watch the heart rate and know that something's happening and get alert the doctor. That's wonderful. What are, what are some other things you would tell them? Like, and at so chapter 11, one, yeah, I like, I like chapter 11 because I'm not kidding you. Chapter 11 did not exist or anything until, until I wrote it. And I don't, I don't think this information's anywhere else, even the legal world anywhere. So, because there's not, you know, I specialize in this. There's the a few attorneys that do this. Um, nobody, I don't, I believe, never thought of going from, you know, attorney to author. So chapter 11 is huge. A huge lesson in chapter 11 is very, very important. Most of the mistakes and complications occur after your water breaks. Okay. Very important because a lot of doctors will recommend to a lot of patients, hey, let's break your water. Well, just so you understand, that is an important question. Or I'm sorry, that's an important recommendation. And it's not a recommendation where you're like, okay, because 10 out of 10 times, I feel like everyone's like, okay, no, here's, a, here's how you respond. Do you want to break my water for a medical reason? Or are you trying to be home for dinner? Because let me tell you, in, in these cases, I've seen both. So that's an important question because what happens is, think about it, for nine months, baby's in this great environment and they're comfy and they're cozy and they're, they have all their fluids surrounding them and everything seems great. And then, boom, you break the water, the fluid drains out and baby's environment now changes. And baby becomes more vulnerable to a complication or whatnot. So just understand that's a huge decision that should not be made lightly. Now, there's, there's, there's a bunch of reasons that it might make sense. Just make sure it does make sense before you agree to it. Because, um, because before that happens, usually baby's, baby's doing pretty good. Now, there might be some circumstances where they're not. And that might be a reason to break the water, but most circumstances, you know, baby's, baby's doing pretty good and just understand that it's after your water breaks that the mistakes or complications can arise. So that's probably, that's, yeah, that's another, I'm not going to follow up on that one, but. Um, what I love about the, what I love about your book and what you're doing, Gina, is you're giving parents tools that they can actually do and think about and prepare for rather than just sliding in and hoping things go well, giving things that they can actually do to increase the chance of having a healthy, good, safe childbirth. Thank you. You know what? It's because I wrote it to my kids and I'm like, okay, I am not, you know, I, I literally would sit down with pictures of my kids and just be like, okay, your delivery team, this is what you need to know. Your doctor, you know, I've analyzed doctors for 20 years. They're a huge part of these cases. This is what you need to know about doctors. So I had to, you know, give them solutions for everything because if I'm not there, I have to be like, this is what your mom would do. Now, the book is written to expectant parents. It's dedicated to my kids, but I'm not like, hi, Abby. Hi, Eliana. You know, this is what you need to do. Uh, no, but I did make sure um, that it was written in a way that if I put in like a problem or an issue that then I solved it. Uh, you have to do that. Or, you know, there's, like you said, almost no reason to write it unless you want to just freak everyone out. <laughs> this is 
this is super, super valuable. So I, I'm, gosh, I got to tell you, I bet you my wife is going to be reading this tonight, uh, this book. Um, she was super thrilled that you were going to be on the podcast. And like I said, we've had some, uh, uh, a lot of experience of being in hospitals and Pitocin and epidurals. And it's going to be really fascinating for both of us to go through this. Is there anything else that you would say to, to parents who are expecting any anything else or last tips that you would give to parents who are about to have a baby? Oh, sure. Um, okay, keep in mind that your delivery team, those are the people that are responsible for bringing your baby safely into this world. So you have to have an idea of who is going to be on your delivery team, what they're going to do, and whatnot. So there's a whole chapter on your chapter three. I know, right? I'm like, you want to tell me which chapter it is? I learned my chapters. Uh, mm -hmm. Chapter three. Yes. Chapter three is the delivery team. And basically um, in a case, in a legal baby case, it's their care that's at issue. And it's their care that's analyzed more than any other aspect of the case. So it's important to read that chapter. You have to remember when you walk into the hospital, and you can probably relate to this. Um, you don't know who's going to be on your delivery team. It's who's scheduled to work that day. So I have on there, you want your dream team. Okay. And I go through what the dream team is. You don't want the team with the bad apple. You have, and if you do, you have to know what to do. So if you have somebody on your delivery team that you don't like, it's not like, Oh, they suck, but oh, well, no, this is your baby. There's things that you have to do. Always keep in mind that the doctor who's going to come in and deliver your baby has always put themselves in a position to be able to drop everything and come to the hospital. So either they need to fix it or somebody needs to fix it. And um, you could actually request other people. Is that correct? I mean, be brave enough to say, hey, I'd like to have this other nurse or somebody else. Is that, yeah. is that what you're saying? Here, yeah, here's the deal. So let's say you have two bed nurses. This actually happened in a case. It's in the book. Um, there was two nurses in a case. One was like the dream nurse. She's practicing 20 years. She's literally made to be a labor and delivery nurse. She was amazing. Then I have this other nurse and she's a new nurse and she completely hated her job and she left soon after. So when the patients walked in that day, it was luck of the draw, right? Do you get the experienced nurse who's born to be a labor and delivery nurse or the inexperienced one who has decided she doesn't like her job and she's quitting? Which one? So here's the deal. Right. Here's the deal. Solve it in the book. It's actually, it's, it's not that hard. People at the hospital are going to know that the inexperienced nurse doesn't like their job, but they can't stick their head in your room and say, hey, if you have any problems with your nurse, let me know. They can't say that. It doesn't work like you that. You just need to say, I'd like to request this nurse. And the other nurse, right. So there's a charge nurse. Every hospital has a charge nurse. So you request the charge nurse and listen, the charge nurse is going to know. She's going to be able to do what she does best and help you. But until you say something, they can't do anything. But the minute you say something, they're probably or probably already on the same page. Same thing if you get residents. You have to remember, if you have residents, Residents are doctors in training. So usually at a larger institution, you're going to have residents. <laughs> this is actually in chapter 11 because they're one of the common, the common issues, common factors in a legal baby case. But when I meet with a resident, 
who usually by then is now a doctor. So these cases, by the way, take many, many, many years um, from birth until when they, you know, something they get filed or it's time for the delivery team to do depositions or whatnot. So I'll have a resident and I'll meet with them many years later. Now, they're now a doctor. And the most common question they ask me, most residents ask me this. So I sit down and I'm like, what happened? Because obviously I'm meeting with them. Something bad happened. And they'll look at me and they're like, they're, they'll always be like, you know, we'll, we'll talk about what happened. And then we'll start talking about their deposition. And they'll be like, well, how do I testify? And I'm like, oh boy, here we go. They're like, do I testify? They say that last again. How, they say, do I test? Say that last yeah, piece again. Yeah, so they'll be like, so they'll have to testify. So my witnesses in the cases, whether it's the family or the delivery team, they have to testify because it's a legal proceeding. And then when they testify, it's something called a deposition. Right, right, right. I understand. Okay. Now I now I, I tend to talk like everybody knows what I'm talking about, even though I may be using. I some think it just came through a little garble on my end. I apologize. Oh, okay. All right. Um, anyway, here's the important part of what the residents like they they typically ask me, do I testify as to what I know now as a practicing doctor, or do I testify as to what I know now or or do I testify as what I knew as a resident in training? <laughs> and I'm always like, there's a difference, right? And they're like, yeah, I know a lot more now. And I'm like, okay, you know, but here's the deal they're learning how to be doctors and they're basically practicing on moms who are in labor and delivery. So if you don't like a resident or you're not happy with them, again, talk to your nurse or talk to somebody else. Um, but the other part is for the delivery team, your doctor heads the delivery team. Most doctors though are only called um, to come into the hospital to deliver the baby. Um, so while you spend nine months hanging out with your doctor, building a relationship with them, usually, unless you get lucky and they're working a shift at the hospital, usually, you you know, you don't see them. So it's important to ask them, um, you know, a number of questions about labor and delivery. So chapter four um, is called how to pick the good doctor. Um, so you want to make sure you pick a good doctor, My that chapter help guides you. Because again, I've analyzed doctors for way too long. And then also what questions to ask them to get ready you know, for childbirth. And so it seems like this may be one, just to interject here, it, this picking the right doctor may be one of, if not the most important thing you do. I just, you, when you were talking, something came to mind years ago. So I used to be involved with uh, new home construction and sometimes people would come to you and say, well, who is the best home builder? Who is the best home builder that's going to build the best home? And here's the, here's the truth. You can have a great company here, a great company there, but the real truth is it's the guy who's hammering the nails. Who's, who's actually hammering the nails. Who's actually putting the sheetrock up. Do they, they care? Are they rushed? Are they not? And if they're if they're doing quality work, it doesn't matter which builder it is. It matters the guy who's actually doing it. Now, I had surgery, and I just want to bring this up. I had surgery uh, a few years. I think it was, I want to say a few years ago. And one of the things I did is I asked some people who were the medical profession because they know they know who the good surgeons are, and they know who the surgeons are who they'd avoid. And I asked a nurse who had been a, a nurse for a long time, and I said, "Who's the best kind of surgeon who has to do this kind of surgery?" And um, 
the same name came up that this was the person, this was the person, this was the person. So I decided that I was only going to have this person do it. And I wonder, um, and, and there were some names that came up that I should avoid actually as well. And I wonder if, if when we're bringing a life into a world, if we can be that, I mean, I don't want to see less trusting, but a, a proactive, I like the word proactive enough to say, okay, I'm going to find a team who knows what they're doing. As you said, the nurse who was born to be a nurse versus the one who is, is about to quit their job and hates it. Um, I think that's the person who's hammering the nails when you're building a house or the person who's stitching you up or the person who's helping it. That is a major, major decision not to be taken lightly. And ask the people in the medical profession, uh, more of them, ask the nurses, ask the other people and say, who is the, who are, I mean, shoot straight with me. Who are the best doctors for this? And see which names keep popping up and which ones they tell you to avoid. Is that what I'm hearing? 100%. 100%. Because a good doctor, um, you know, I go again, chapter four, but their job is so important. It's not only to care for you and communicate with you, but you you got to make sure that they also communicate with the people hammering the nails, right? So your nurse who is giving direct patient care, she's the one next to you. She's the one watching you. She's the one watching the baby's heart rate and watching you progress. And then she, or sometimes a resident, it depends what hospital you're at, then call the doctor communicate what they're seeing to the doctor, and then they make a plan for recommendations. So you're right. If you have somebody who's hammering- the nurse, the nurse may be just as important or more important than the doctor. The nurse is super important decision as well, right? Sorry. Your nurse, right. But here's the deal with labor and delivery nurses. You're most likely just going to get the one that's working that day. That's why, and the nurses are your advocate. I mean, technically in these cases, and I mean, just in the medical field, nurses are the advocate for mom and baby. So you have to make sure you have a good nurse and that you're comfortable with them. Because again, and now, and if they're not clearly communicating to your doctor, you know, that's an issue. So all of these nurses, they have charge nurses and um, you can go right to the charge nurse. Charge nurse is there to fix everything. And they do a really good job at it. Then they have protocols at the hospital. So if you say, I don't like my nurse or I, you know, like, can I have a new nurse or whenever, whatever you want to say, there's protocols in place for that. Okay. Well, you know, and then they're going to do X, Y, Z. So. You know, I got to tell you, it, it, it seems like it's even the right of the patient to say, Hey, can I get a good anesthesiologist? I, if I am going to get an epidural, someone who's been, who's been really trained on this, I'd like to get the best person, not somebody. <laughs> that's, that's, that's one of the things in the book. That's a recommendation. <laughs> It actually, that subsection is called do not practice on me. <laughs> and exactly. it is, well, because you have residents at the hospital. I mean, these are just residents that are training to be anesthesiologists. And a lot of time, that's how they learn. They're going to practice placing an epidural on a mom that's in labor. That That's how they learn. And so in my book, I'm like, yeah, don't, don't practice on me. But again, and now just so you know, I got a couple of reviews where I'm getting some heat on that one, by the way. And, uh, but I want to write back and I'm not going to, I don't respond to my reviews or anything, but I want to write back. Like, hey, I wrote this book for my kids. This is what I'm telling my kids. <laughs> this is what I would tell this my is kids. Real helpful. This is what was, right. We so appreciate that you're putting in your book with what you as a mom would tell your kids, having seen all these things that you've seen. Oh, you know, how, that's the thing. How I 
and preparing my family for childbirth is much different than a family traditionally pre prepares for childbirth. In my house, <laughs> in my house, preparing for childbirth is the number one thing you do. It's not, oh, we're pregnant. Let's get the nursery ready. Or, you know, we'll obviously do that. That's the fun part, you know, buy some cute clothes. That's also the fun part. But priority is making sure that baby gets here safely. So baby, you know, a couple of days after birth is sleeping in the nursery, is wearing the cute clothes. Right. So sure. we, trust me, I, I, yes, I prepare my family much different than uh, others. But now, now how I would prepare or how I do prepare my family is it's in the book. You know, as you say this, this, this thought came to me. If parents could act like they're the CEO, I'm going to use this term, of, their, of the childbirth. In other words, as a CEO, I can hire people or, or fire people or I can decide to outsource to someone. If you get, a, if you're in this whole process, if you're saying, okay, look, I'm not comfortable with this nurse. You have every right to ask for a new nurse. Don't be shy. This is your child we're talking about. If you're not comfortable with what's happening, you have every right to say, you know what? For my for my child, I'd like to, to switch this nurse or this even this, this resident. Or can we please have the doctor that was going to be one that I feel good about? You don't just have to check out and say, I'm just going to go with the flow and hope everything goes well. This is your child you're bringing into the world. And you have a right, I think, to not just drift with whatever's happening. Okay, this is, I feel like you should have been part of my book. So the last page or two of chapter one, it's the CEO of the company, the manager of the rock band, uh, where else? Oh, here we go. Can be helpful to think of yourself as a general in a battle, a company CEO or a rock band manager. Because well, I know, but like I'm you're the CEO. You can hire or fire the doctor. You can hire or fire the nurse if you're not comfortable. You're the you're in charge, not them. Right. And you are, as the mom, the decision maker. That's what your doctor, and it's right here at the end of that chapter, they are like your medical advisors. They're making recommendations based upon their experience and their knowledge and their training but you make the decisions. So that's very important. And that's why you are the CEO. And then I go over right after that, you know, CEO, why it's important that they prepare and they learn and they train for their job so they can be the best at their job. Because if you don't have a good knowledge base on what, what you're walking into with childbirth, how do you make good decisions? How do you know who to trust and who not to trust if you don't know? If you know, you're going to be able to make better decisions. You're going to be able to work better with your delivery team. I had a labor and delivery nurse go through my book before I published it to make sure, you know, I didn't miss anything or whatever. And I'll never forget the phone call after she finished reading it. She was so happy. She goes, Gina, if parents know this, my job will be so easy. She's like, she's on edge all the time because the parents, they do, they come in and they don't understand. And she has to sit with patients. Remember, she has more than one patient. She has to sit with the patients and explain everything from square one. And so she's like, if they know this or if they can alert me or if they can help me or whatever, 
Oh my goodness. She was, she was just floored. Absolutely floored. She's been a nurse in labor and delivery for 34 years and thanked me for writing the book. So yeah, but anyway, you're right. CEO. Um, yeah, you're, I like it. Look at you. This is this, this thought. And, and I love this is if, if you're a CEO, do you just hire the first person who comes in? Actually, you might do your research. You might really interview. You might look at their resume. You might look at get some references like we were talking about, about who are the real doctors who do a good job? Who are the ones who are not doing as good a job? Who are the, who are the nurses who are good? And put together a dream team of people who can make it happen, make it the best chance of having a successful labor and delivery. Gina, it has been so uh, wonderful to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for being on here. I'm sure there are many more gems in your book. I'm excited to, uh, read it with my wife tonight or very soon how do people get a hold of you gina gina so the best way is going to my website ginamundi.com and and remember i'm just you know i'm just a practicing attorney or whatever but i have understanding now that i'm an author the importance of social media so i learned it today that twitter turned into x um so i, I signed i signed up for did you know that by the way yeah, I think that I think Elon Musk should pay me royalties because everybody calls me X and they've called me that my whole life. <laughs> you wouldn't know that because you're dating. Maybe I could get some uh, legal help on that to give me some royalties here. <laughs> That's awesome. So I'm starting now to post everything on social media. So, you know, Inst- Gina Mundy um, on Instagram, Gina Mundy on Twitter. Uh, one day I'll do a TikTok video. I'm not there yet. Um, but no matter what, GinaMundy.com. And then also, did I tell you this? I, the baby advocate chapters up there. Um, I did a podcast and they were like, baby advocate is huge. And I'm like, it is huge. I'm like, so I, right now I, I told her I put it up on my website as like a free download too, just so, um, you know, you understand whatever people know how to prepare a uh, baby advocate. Um, but then my book is available on Amazon. But there's also, again, there's links on my website to my book. So either way. That's wonderful. And that tell us the full name of your book again, so they can look it up now. Oh, sure. So if you um, if you go on Amazon and you go to the search bar, you can either put my name in Gina Mundy, or you could put in Safer Childbirth. It pops up, or you can put the whole title in A Parent's Guide to a Safer Childbirth. Um, you can type in Pregnancy Book. It pops up. Uh, whatever. So yeah, there's Amazon's been pretty good to me. We're able to get you know. Some really good reviews pretty quick and they stuck me in there. They've been really great to me with the algorithm. So it, it usually pops up pretty quick, especially if you just throw my name in. That's probably the easiest part. That's wonderful. And for any anybody listening to this podcast who either is pregnant or expecting and wanted to be, know of somebody who is, please uh, look for Gina Mundy's book, share the podcast. Thank you again, Gina, for being on here today. And well, thank you for having me. It was a great conversation and I knew it would be. You're a great host. You know how to ask the right questions. It's awesome. That's so kind of you. So something that's so important. That I'm so glad that you could share your knowledge with these parents. Thank you for the, for the kind words. But we're grateful you're here, and we'll 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 uh, be here again on the next episode of the Principal Podcast. Thanks again, Gina. Oh, you're welcome. Have a great day. Bye.